and I've been praying about this and been praying about this and uh, I, I didn't know whether to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. I thought about that. I thought maybe going through First Peter, but I heard Randy is just finishing up First Peter, so I didn't want to, you know, piggyback on that. And I thought about Colossians. I just, you know, just. But this is where finally I settled, and I um, call this series "Ancient Landmarks of Life's Pathway." Ancient landmarks of life's pathway. And what I want to do is I want to do a topical study of the book of Proverbs. And uh, I'm not going to go line by line, verse by verse through Proverbs. It took me four years to get through Luke. It would take me 40 years to get through Proverbs. Okay, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. But um, what I do want to do is I want to highlight um, what I call or what I consider um, important topics that would be beneficial for each and every one of us to uh, not only see and recognize, uh, but uh, know them firsthand, know them personally. And so I call them ancient landmarks, and I'll explain why I I refer to it that way. Our text, well, I put it up there, Proverbs 4, 18 through 19, that's kind of where we're going to, that's kind of the springboard into the study. But we're going to be looking at a lot of things. Uh, so in the beginning, uh, Proverbs 22:28 uh, says, "Remove not the ancient landmark uh, which thy fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set." That's Proverbs 22:28. Now, um, what is the purpose, or what is the uh, use of a, of a landmark? Oh, very good. Know where you're going. Remember, it's very good. Very good. Uh, when I was looking through the Bible about landmarks, I saw those very things. I saw also a few other things. But you're right. A, a landmark, first of all, uh, defines a border or a territory or a region or a country. Uh, you see that when you uh, look in the book of Joshua, especially chapters 13 through 17, where Joshua is, you know, giving each of the tribes their portion of the land, their inheritance of the land, and how these tribes know which is the, is their portion and which is somebody else's portion, is that when Joshua lays out these regions, these portions, he uses cities and things like that as landmarks to define the territory. So that's one of the reasons, that's one of the use of a landmark. It defines a, a territory or a region. Another one is for remembrance, a structure that is built by a people uh, to aid in understanding or remembering something about their history, something about them as a people, right? Uh, once again, we see this thing in the book of Joshua as the children of Israel cross over the Jordan River. Uh, one of the things that uh, Joshua has the folks do is he has these young men pick up 12 stones off of the off of the riverbed, the dry riverbed of the Jordan, because that's where the Lord had, you know, caused them that the waters to abate so that they could go across dry shod. And so um, he had these guys pick up these stones, and uh, he said in Joshua 4, 6, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye be by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, 
that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel so that's what they did they took these stones and they built this little pillar up and that was a a landmark or a memorial a memorial Um, countries do it all the time don't they I mean we've got memorials uh, all over this country you know we've got the Statue of Liberty all these things we've got all these memorials all over this country monuments or landmarks that uh, talk about the people's history Um, what about another use of, the, of, of a landmark know where you're going right you use it as, as you know where you're going it, it's, it's, a, it's a feature it could be an artificial feature such as a road sign you know it could be a, a natural feature such as a, a mountain or a river or, um, or even a tree Right, it's some sort of natural uh, feature that kind of sticks out. Again, we see this in the Bible in First Samuel with uh, Jonathan, the, the son of King Saul. In First Samuel fourteen four, in between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over onto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. So, right there, what do we have? We've got a landmark, right? Uh, something to guide uh, Joshua toward the Philistines. Um, the settlers of this country who traveled west, that's what they did. They always, in fact, right across on the other side of Kansas, we've got a huge landmark. Anybody happen to know what that huge landmark is? Huh? Well, it's a big one. You can see it for miles and miles. Pikes Peak. Right? Pikes Peak. If you've ever traveled toward Colorado across Kansas, long before you get to Colorado, you see Pikes Peak sticking up. And that was used by the settlers as they headed toward headed west. They saw this huge mountain for days and days and days and days and days. Because it's so it's such a prominent, prominent thing on the horizon. <clears throat> In the Word of God, just like all these landmarks, there's landmarks in the Word of God. There's landmarks in the Word of God. Uh, something else about landmarks. The Bible says you weren't to mess with the landmarks. You were to leave them alone. Once they were established, you didn't mess with the landmarks. You left them alone. Um, Deuteronomy 19.14 says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. So once that landmark was established, you left it alone. You didn't mess with it. In fact, this was such a serious thing that it also, if you mess with the landmark, there was a curse that went along with that. Deuteronomy 27.17 says, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. So that's a pretty serious situation. Once a landmark was established, you didn't mess with it. And if you did mess with it, then there was a curse that came with it. So that shows how serious these landmarks were. Um, In the book of Job, turn to Job chapter 24. Turn to Job chapter 24. Uh, The book of Job was written long before Deuteronomy. In one of Job's uh, speeches to his friends, uh, he speaks of the wicked. 
And he speaks of the wicked who know not the Almighty. And one of the things that he talks about as far as the wicked was their transgressions that they committed. uh, Things that they were guilty of. And one of the things that they were guilty of was the removal of landmarks. Uh, Job 24.1, he says, Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. They drive away the ass of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They turn the needy out of the way, the poor of the earth, hide themselves together. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. All of that subsequent wickedness listed by Job began with a disregard of the landmarks. That's what started it. It began with a disregard of the landmarks. Once these landmarks was removed, then all else was uh, open game. All else was uh, 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 free to, uh, to, uh, and open to abuse. So landmarks are very, very important. And this leads us to the fourth application of the ancient landmarks. And those are the landmarks that we find right here in the Bible. That's why it's important that you don't mess with the landmarks. Because once you remove or mess with the landmarks, then all sorts of bad things occur. Alright? Proverbs 29.18 says, now bear with me, there is a reason why I'm going through this. Proverbs 29.18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Alright? Now we probably all know that verse. We, some of us may be able, be able to quote it. But let me say this. When a society, or a nation, or a people, or even a church fail to hold to the ancient landmarks as found in the word of God then that society, that nation, that people and yes, even the church will fall under a curse and they will begin to crumble and decay and eventually fall into ruin now, I'm not making a political statement but did we not Are we not seeing in our own country people tearing down landmarks? And look what is going on. Look what's going on. The correlation between vision and the law and perishing and happiness is very, very clear in this verse. And the key is keeping of the law paying attention to the ancient landmarks that God has placed in his word for us for our happiness for our happiness now the word vision can um, you know, refer to loss of physical sight but in the word of God more often than not it refers to um, dreams or visions or revelations from God what is this? This is a revelation from God, isn't it? 
This is a revelation from God. This is God's vision for you and me. That's what it is. Uh, For the Old Testament saint, it would have been the books of Moses, right? Psalms, Proverbs, the prophets, those type of things. For us, it's the whole book. Old and New Testament. But this is, this is God's vision for us. This is God's revelation to us. To us. Now toward the end of David's life, the prophet Nathan came to David. And he had a word from God to David concerning David's posterity. And in 1 Chronicles 17, verses 11 through 15... And you can turn there if you want, but I'll have it read before you get there probably. But in First uh, Chronicles 17.11, this is Nathan. He says, And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I'll raise up thy seed after thee, what shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee, but I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. According to all these words and according to all this vision did Nathan speak unto David. Notice the correlation between God's word and the vision. Okay? It's a revelation from God that David is receiving. I present this passage to show you what Proverbs is saying. When a people, whether it's a nation or a church or a family, when a people ignore God's word... When they choose to rebel against and mess with the ancient landmarks that God has established in his word, then that nation, that church, that people, that individual will perish. Will perish. We see this today. We see this in Christianity today. More and more people are forsaking God's word to follow some man's dream or to follow some personality or they choose their own private interpretation of what God's word has to say. Uh, They begin to mess around with the ancient landmarks, redefining them and repositioning them and saying it really doesn't say this, it really says that. When this occurs, the people perish. The people perish. Now, when you think of the word perish, what comes to your mind? Death? Yeah. When you think of the word perish, you do. You you think of death. You think of ceasing to exist. (coughs) But the word perish here in Proverbs is a little different. I thought this was kind of interesting when I looked into this. The word here and uh, the word here perish in Proverbs to me is even more ominous, more serious. Because the word here and perish 
Uh, the word perish here in Proverbs means you lose all moral restraint. It's like anything goes. That's what brings the demise of the people in the nation. They've let loose of the ancient landmarks and now anything goes. What is it that um, in the end of John, there was no king in the land and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's what happens. That's what happens. It's like the fences have come down and the cattle are free to roam on a busy highway. Not a good situation for everybody involved. It's that hard attitude of anything goes because it's my right. I'm ch- I can choose whatever way I want to go. It's my right. Who cares about the consequences? It's my happiness that's involved. It's what I want to do. That's where real liberty is. Really, is it? Is that really true liberty? As we looked earlier in the book of Job, it's when those ancient landmarks are messed with, it's when those boundaries are torn down, that's when all of a sudden violence takes place and lawlessness and oppression of the fatherless and the widows. We've got cities in this own nation that we've seen that take place because of the landmarks being torn down Businesses being burned, people rioting. Absolute lawlessness. Because there's no respect for the ancient landmarks. The, we, uh, the, the, the fatherless, the widows, and the needy, and the poor all become oppressed. So this, this word perish is a uh, throwing off of all restraint. A throwing off of all restraint. In Exodus 32:25, Moses had gone up to the to the mountain to receive uh, the law from God, and when he came down with the tablets, we read in 32:25 of Exodus, and when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. What happened there? They got tired of waiting for Moses, and what did they do? They created their own God, their own golden calf. They threw away all restraints, and they pretty much had a, an orgy going on because they threw away all of the restraints. The cattle had certainly wandered on the busy highway. The um, attitude of um, the majority of lost people in in regards to God's word is that they look at God's word as a restraint on their lives. Right? Well, if you become a Christian, then that means you can't have any more, you can't have fun anymore. Have you ever heard that? if I become a Christian then that means I, you know, I can't have fun anymore 
They look at God's word as a as a restraint, as a as a yoke that it it limits their freedom and their and their personal rights. And anybody who who preaches the Bible and anybody who preaches righteousness, well, they're just intolerant. You know, they're just killjoys. Do you realize that God has given us his word, these ancient landmarks on life's pathway, so that we would enjoy life and be happy? Never thought of it that way, have we? Because when you get rid of all of, when you get rid of those ancient landmarks that God has established in his word, then do you know what happens on earth? And I don't mean to be base, all hell breaks loose. Who's happy then? But that's the concept that the majority of people have on the Word of God, including some of God's people. Including some of God's people. They desire to destroy the ancient landmarks, or they try to redefine them. They don't realize that it, 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 that's, that's, that's where true liberty in life comes from. You know, the concept that man has concerning the Word of God is perverted, it's twisted, it's not right. God's Word is, is, is the moral standard the just standard given to man by a loving God I've said it before to ensure your happiness to ensure your prosperity not only in this life but in the life to come happy is the man that keeps them what do you think is the fundamental principle behind the law Any guesses? The fundamental principle behind the law. Four-letter word, starts with L, ends with E. There you go. Do you ever stop and think about that? The fundamental principle behind the law, behind these ancient landmarks, is love. That's what Paul says, Romans 13, 8. Owe no, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law, or the word of God. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So those folks out there who are tearing down the ancient landmarks, burning businesses, blocking streets, killing people, is that showing love? But yet they, they say that's true liberty. That's not love. That's not liberty. Mankind's history beginning with the fall of Adam is, is full of examples and proofs of people who forsake the ancient landmarks that God has established in his word or they twist those landmarks to fit their selfish ends that society doesn't last long. 
That society doesn't prosper long. That society is not happy long. And the, and, and the people perish, and the families perish, and individuals perish, and yes, even Bible-believing churches perish if they forsake these ancient landmarks. When a society forsakes the ancient landmarks, then all that is left to them is to succumb to a perverse way of thinking, a self-centered emotionalism, and a sin-centered willfulness in their pursuit to elevate evil that dwells in their hearts. That's a mouthful. But that's really the end result. If you chuck God's word, what are you left with? Nothing but heartache and trouble. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The end result of such a choice is always the same without exception. Usually a society will fall under the curse. They no longer experience happiness or prosperity. And then the result is always what? Death. Always is. James 1.15 Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So when you (coughs) choose to forsake the ancient landmarks of life's pathway that God has so clearly laid out in his word, then there's really nothing left to you than the curse. The curse of unhappiness. The curse of trouble. The curse of Everything that just goes wrong. That, that's a spiritual principle that is true as, as the law of gravity. If you get up on the top of this building and step off the edge of the building, what's going to happen? You're not an exception to that rule, are you? It's the same thing here spiritually. None of us are an exception to that rule. If you turn your back on God's word, then there's nothing left for you than to suffer the consequences of that decision. You know, the French resistance during World War II, one of the ways that they tried to uh, hinder the enemy, the Nazis, was that they would go out and they would mess with the, the road signs and the city signs, you know. So if, if you had a sign saying Paris was off to the east, they'd flip the sign around saying Paris was off to the west. So they would mess with the road signs. We've got folks who are messing with God's word. And they're flipping it around. They're flipping it around. They're messing with it. Messing with it. And they're causing many, as Second Peter talks about, they're leading many down pernicious ways. The word pernicious. Uh, yeah, that's destructive. Destructive ways. Destructive ways. Well, like, for example, well, I, I, I preach on it all the time because they just irritate the snot out of me. But you've got your prosperity gospel preachers, right? We've got a man down in Texas who's got a huge church with a big old cheesy smile. I've never seen that man with a Bible in his hand. 
In fact, he says that uh, you really don't know, you know, who, how you can get saved. You don't know if one person... He's not sure on how to get saved. But yet he's got this huge church, this huge following, and he preaches this gospel, and he talks about God. What is he doing there? He's leading all these people down a pernicious way. This country is full of churches like that. Full of churches like that. So that's just one example. Just one example. So it's important that we know what the ancient landmarks are. And it's even more important, not only do we know them, (laughs) but we follow them, right? We follow them. I don't know about you guys, but I hate being lost. If I'm going somewhere that I've never been before, I want detailed instructions. Because when I get off into the weeds, I just, I don't, ask my wife, she's not here. She had, she, but ask her. I get a little irritated, I get a little loud, I get a little grouchy, because I hate being lost. So if you're going to tell me how to get someplace, draw pictures, because <laughs> I need them. What about your eternal soul? Wouldn't you like to know the right way to heaven? Instead of having some knucklehead over here drawing me this map that leads me to nowhere? No, show me how to get there. Give me the landmarks. Because your soul is important, is it not? Psalms 119, 133 says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Show me the landmarks. Show me the way to go. Because it's important. Um, This is not unique to me. I know you guys have heard this. But this is your atlas for life. You know what an atlas is? It shows you how to get from point A to point B. And let me tell you something. It's a very good atlas. It's a very good atlas. Have you ever used Google Maps? Does it always get you to where you want to go? No. The Word of God is a good atlas. It, It sets you on the right course if you choose to go the right way. It tells you the ancient landmarks. It tells you the ancient landmarks. So that's about the landmarks. So I want to talk a little bit of how the Bible portrays life. Because that's also important. How does the Bible portray life? 
Well, the book of Proverbs is one of the five wisdom books. Starts with Job, ends with Ecclesiastes. It's one of the five wisdom books. And within the book of Proverbs, again, it's a topical study that I'm doing. Uh, It provides what I call landmarks, very important landmarks, things that we should have a, a right heart attitude towards or with or regarding that are essential for us as we travel through this life. I better ask this, first of all. You guys understand we're just passing through. Okay? All right. Because that's important to understand. That means you're not always going to be here, doesn't it? So we're just passing through. And what the book of Psalms is to our devotional and and worshipful relationship with God, a Proverbs to us is also a very practical and prudent uh, book in dealing with uh, God and with other people. It's a very practical book. And um, there's like um, 50 different characters in the book of Proverbs. It covers a, a, a very wide range of characters that we'll meet in this world. You may be one or two of those characters. <laughs> I know I am. Some good, some bad. But it's a very, very practical book, and it helps us to navigate our way. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and look at verse 14. This is, this is the text that I'm going to kick this study off on. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And the first way that we see how the Bible portrays life is found right here in this, in this passage. In Proverbs 4.14, we read, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness, and drink the wine of violence. So right off the bat, what do we, what do we come face to face with is this. We see a warning sign that says, wrong way, do not enter. Don't we? It says very, very clearly here, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. How much plainer does it need to be? Now, if you're pulling off onto an, if you're pulling into an, um, uh, um, off a road onto the highway, and you happen to pull onto the, the ramp, and there's a big sign that says, wrong way, do not enter, do you keep driving? Hopefully not. Hopefully you're smart enough to stop the car back up and find the right way onto the highway. But unfortunately, not everybody makes that decision. So here we are clearly seeing that we have a choice before us. A choice before us. Now the passage continues in verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more onto the perfect day. The 19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So here we see life portrayed as a choice between two paths. 
paths. One of light, one of darkness. Now, if there are two paths and only two paths that we can choose in life, then it would be pretty important to understand, okay, where are the road signs I need to be paying attention to? How do I get on the path of light and avoid the path of darkness? Even the lost world talks about two paths. Even the lost world talks about two paths. You know what's interesting to me in this passage? More is said about the path of darkness than the path of light. Doesn't it? There's more warning about don't go that way than there is about, hey, get on this way. Why do you think that is? Because of our human hearts. Because we are more inclined to go down the wrong way, aren't we? Yeah, don't eat this. Yeah, exactly. We're stupid. We are. We really are stupid. What was it a couple of years ago they had the, the, the laundry pot challenge thing? Yep. Yep. This is not for human consumption. A few years back, you would have said, well, duh. Not anymore. Not anymore. Something else that um, the Bible talks about our life. James 4.14 Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So what is James telling us here? Life is short, isn't it? Life is short. I mean, I've seen that vapor driving along the back roads or the highways when there's a low spot in the ground over a pond or a creek, there's that fog. An hour or two later, the sun comes up and what happens to that fog? It dissipates, it's gone. Just like our life. You know, at one time I was a a 13-year-old brat. Yeah, causing trouble with my folks. Now I'm a 65-year-old brat. Still causing trouble trouble with my wife. (laughs) Where did those years go? And the older I get, the quicker they go. The older I get, the quicker they go. First Peter one twenty four: All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Same thing. In my backyard, I have a variety of daylilies planted in my flower garden. Why do they call them daylilies? Because the bloom essentially lasts for one day. One day they come out full of glory, very beautiful, very bright, and then the next day they're withered and gone. Just like our life. Just like our life. But we don't like to think about that, do we? 
We don't like to think about how short life really is. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 88 years old. Life is short. Life is short. And like those daylilies, uh, they no sooner bloom and are full of glory than they wane and fall away. They're to be replaced by another bloom. That's what Ecclesiastes 4.16 talks about. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice at them. Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Have you ever thought about humanity? It's like a big, I don't know what you would call it, big treadmill. You're born, you live, you die. You're born, you live, you die. You're born, you live, you die. And it just keeps going on, keeps going on, keeps going on, keeps going on. What is the purpose of it all? That's what he's asking here. It's all vanity and vexation of spirit. If you do not know God, if you do not know the ancient landmarks, then that's exactly your viewpoint. The lesson is very simple. It's a choice of paths. paths. And your life is so short, then it's important that you make the right choice on which path you're going to go on. Since life is so short, young people... You better make a decision today what path you're going to choose to follow. That's true of all of us of any age. Ancient landmarks. Very important. Another way that the Bible portrays life is it's a race. It's a race. Hebrews 12.1 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, aside, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So the point here is, since that life is so short, it would be really unwise on our part to become encumbered by something that will hinder our race. Right? To be encumbered by something that would hinder our race or get us off course. Because when we are hindered or we're off course, what does that result in? That results in a great waste of time and effort of which really we can't afford to lose. We can't afford to lose. So we are to run our race with patience. What does that mean? (laughs) Another word would be endurance. Endurance. My daughter has a a a physical a um, a ministry that deals not only with the physical endurance but also spiritual endurance. So we need this endurance. Uh, Like a runner who has their sights set on the finish line. You don't become distracted. You don't get weighed down by something. 
You keep your eye on the finish line and you keep going and you endure in spite of what uh, you're facing, in spite of what you're experiencing, in spite of the obstacles set in your way. You keep your eye on the prize and you endure toward that prize. Because that's, that's what's important. Because the obtaining of that prize will make everything you've gone through worth it. Paul writes in Philippians 3.13 through 14, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are, bef- which are behind. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I love what he says here because this is where I live. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You see, so many of us allow something that has has occurred in the past to encumber our race in the present. We're encumbered by dwelling on the negative memories of one's past. And it causes many of us to falter and to flounder in the present, making it difficult for us to run our race because we're always got this baggage on us. The writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight. And for the, for the majority of us, that could, be, that could prove difficult. What are some of the things that have happened in your past that's keeping you from running your race? For some, it might be unforgiveness. Things folks have done to you or said to you, you haven't forgiven them, and so you hang on to that. And it encumbers your race. It hinders your race. Maybe the person you need to forgive is yourself. Maybe you've done something in the past that you cannot believe that God has forgiven you for, so you hang on to that and you allow that to hinder your race. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I attained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul was a murderous blasphemer. And he could have allowed that to hinder his race. But he didn't. Why? Because he came to understand the grace of God in his life. And the mercy that God was willing to give him. What is it that he said, but for the grace of God go I? 
a burden of guilt and shame can prove to be an impediment in one's race and there's no need for it because God is a God of grace he's a God of mercy and he's a God of forgiveness who are you not to forgive another or who are you you to not forgive yourself if God has forgiven you I'm going to let you in on a little secret and it might be a surprise to some of you None of us are perfect. Ah, uh, we got a gasp. None of us in this room is perfect. Learn to accept God's grace in your life. Avail yourself to his mercy. Get in the race and finish it, keeping your eye on the prize. Keeping your eye on the prize. A lot of us run our race with our shoestrings tied together. You ever see that? It's hilarious. But you don't run a very good race, do you? Why are you tying your shoestrings together? Get those shoes laced up right and run your race. You'll find it a lot easier. Something else about... Our uh, life portrayed as a race. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says we are to finish our race well. Finish our race well. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible, corruptible, when my asthma acts up, I have a hard time. Corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says, I therefore so run, that is uncertainly, so fight I, as not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, least that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now that castaway bit does not mean he's going to lose his salvation as some erroneously teach. The context of what he is saying here is to obtain a prize. And a person who is a castaway is someone who's been disqualified in the race. And since they've been disqualified in the race, then they don't receive a prize. Proverbs 24.16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. This tells me that not a one of us will run an absolutely perfect race. We will fall down. We will bang up our knees and our elbows. We will plant our face in the dust. We will do it. But get up. Don't lay there in the dust. Get up. Get back in the race. Finish the course. Remember what the Bible said? Life is too short 
to, 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 to stay face down in the dust. Get up. Get up. You see, I think the Lord, this is my opinion, but I think the Lord will be well pleased when you cross that finish line with bloody knees and elbows and dust all over your face, I think he's going to be more pleased with someone like that than someone who's still in the track refusing to get up. Get up. Get back in the race. Get back in the race and stay in the race. Stay in the race. You're not going to run a perfect race, but finish the race. Amen? I'm going to have to stop there. I'll stop there. So, I'm going to go through the book of Proverbs topically. I still have a lot more to say how the Bible portrays life that I think it's very, very important for us to understand. But the main point is, let's get on the right path. And I think that, I pray that most of you, or the majority of you, are on the right path. Get on the right path. Let's find out what these ancient landmarks are. Let's hold fast to them. Because this old world is quickly booting them to the side. And if we don't want to perish... Then we need to know what these landmarks are. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. I pray, Father in heaven, that the few comments that I've made have uh, struck pay dirt. Lord, I know it has with me uh, in so many ways if I, as I studied and prepared for this. Lord, I think we all have to take time to uh, go through a period of reevaluation. And Lord, I just pray that that's, that's what this is. It's just a, a time of reevaluation, Lord, uh, for that which is important and that which is not so much important. Help us, Lord God, uh, to begin to run our race unencumbered, unhindered by anything that would keep us from obtaining the prize. We thank you and praise you in Christ Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Any questions on what I covered? Any comments? Any answers? Gosh, okay. Yeah. Huh? Yeah.